Welcome to Living Strong, the flip side of adversity with your host, Dr. Veerja Jackson. On our program, we explore the flip side of every story. And when you open yourself up to both sides, you'll realize that there are life lessons, powerful tools, and so much more. Now, here is Dr. Veerja Jackson. Hello and welcome to Living Strong, the flip side of adversity. I am Dr. Veerja Jackson, the CEO and creative behind Living Strong Consulting. And welcome to our Black History Month conversation. We are celebrating all things bold, black, and beautiful. And I'm so excited and privileged to launch this conversation uh, with a servant leader that absolutely exemplifies um, passion, integrity, and strength. And, And I'm going to allow her to tell us more about her leadership. But before we jump into the conversation, let me give you a little bit about who she is. State Representative Morgan Cephas was elected to serve her first term in the Pennsylvania House of Representatives in November 2016. As a lifelong public servant and native of West Philadelphia, Morgan works to forge cross-sector collaborations and partnerships to solve some of the community's biggest challenges. In the General Assembly, Morgan's priorities include expanding access to health care to improve health outcomes, increasing educational opportunities and career pipelines for youth and young adults, creating jobs through business incentives, and ensuring women and girls are a priority. Since her first term, she has successfully secured over $21 million in state funds to improve local schools, parks, businesses, and libraries, and to jumpstart community development projects throughout the 192nd district. She currently sits on the appropriations, health, insurance, and labor and industry committees and is chairwoman of the Philadelphia House delegation. She previously served as a member of the Governor's Commission on Women and as a board member of the African American Chamber of Commerce Foundation. So I could go on and on, but just reading her bio could take up our entire 50 minutes together. So I'm excited that she said yes to launching our bold, black, and beautiful conversation. Welcome to the flip side of adversity radio show, State Representative Morgan Cephas. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. It's um, it's a very timely conversation. It's an exciting conversation. Uh, leadership in this environment, you know, require requires us to be bold, be beautiful, be black in these spaces. So you know, we can ensure that we're moving the needle in the right direction, especially as we, you know, kick off the month of Black History Month. Um, We are, it's a month that forces us to remember the legacy that we are building this foundation on, but also um, taking a pulse check to see where we are in our progress, but then also using that as an opportunity uh, to build what needs to what we're doing as we move forward. So, you know, thank you for, you know, having me and inviting me to this conversation. Again, that you look amazing. That background looks amazing. I keep saying I need to fix my background. Um, but I'm excited about tonight's conversation. And again, I want to thank you for having me. Oh, 
Oh, thank you. So as you, as your bio, your, all that you represent um, absolutely speaks to understanding how you just said, this is an opportunity for us to recognize our accountability, our responsibility. And as a leader who has um, sat in a political office for seven years now, Seven years. Oh my God. I, I feel like we're, first of all, we're running every two years. I feel like we age in dog years. <laughs> I mean, and especially with COVID, COVID 19 literally added a couple of years. So it feels more like 10 to 15. But believe it or not, I just, I'm going into my fourth term. I mean, you look up and time just goes by so quickly. Yes. Mm -hmm. So I want to ju just jump right into our conversation. And because living strong, uh, our one of the main things we do is we provide leadership and team development, mm -hmm. consulting and guidance. I'm curious, what three words would you use to actually define your leadership and why? Right. No, and I appreciate that question. And again, I'm going to go back to this um, throughout our conversation because I really believe that um, the challenges that we've faced over these past several years as you know elected officials or as leaders, you know, like yourself or leaders in, you know, the corporate rooms, the nonprofits and, you know, community organizations, we've really had to dig deep over the last couple of years. Um, one to, you know, maintain a presence, but also to ensure that our, the communities that we um, respectively represent don't fall through the cracks um, during this period. I mean, whether that be during the pandemic or, during the managing of the civil unrest, you know, mentally, emotionally, physically uh, managing that, but also, you know, bouncing back from the economic downturn. I really feel like, you know, we all have been tried. And, you know, I would like to say uh, um, many of us have come out on um, the opposite end, being better leaders at a time where, you know, the decisions that we make over the next couple of months will determine the future of so many communities for the next 10 years. So uh, I like to say for every um, crisis, there's an opportunity. Um, and as leaders, we have to always look at the glass half full. So when you know I reflect on uh, my time as a leader, you know, in my existing space, uh, three things come to mind uh, that's critical to, you know, not just be successful um, in this space, but um, showing up and being successful for the communities that we respectively represent. So I would say the three for me is that one, you have to be strategic. You have to, you know, ensure that you're looking at all of the pieces that play a role in what you are trying to accomplish um, and seeing how they fit. And if they don't fit neatly, how do you make those adjustments to ensure that they are a part of the solution? It's almost like, uh, a cog in a wheel that is constantly moving. And, you know, each of those wheels have, you know, their own uh, perspective on what strategic is, what the outcomes that they're looking for. So we, you know, in order to achieve, you know, maximum of what we're, we're looking to do, we have to be strategic and working together. And, you know, as a Democrat in, in the House of Representatives, where I've been in a minority my entire career, uh, we have to be, we have to think strategic across uh, across the aisle, you have to, you know, be an urban girl from Philadelphia, um, understanding what our issues are, but also how do they relate to my colleagues in York County and rural uh, sections of 
the Commonwealth. So you know, to be a leader to solve these challenges, the first thing that comes to mind is you have to be strategic. Um, the second thing is you have to be collaborative. Um, I am a big proponent of not being the smartest person in the room, because if you are, you need to not be in that room. Um, and, you know, I have my own individual uh, lived experience that I bring to the table, but I, I also value um, the experiences from other people um, and what uh, they can add to the conversation from their perspective. So being collaborative is, a, is the second. And I think the third is the most important to me, um, which is being outcome driven. Um, I feel like, you know, we don't occupy these spaces to perpetuity. We we're not here forever. But you when I think of, you know, those shoulders that I come that I stand on, it's, you know, how did you use your time to move the needle in a direction that will build upon the legacy of those that have come before us? So that is the most important thing for me. It's, you know, even starting the conversation with strategic partners and being collaborative. The most important is, you know, what does success look like? And making sure that you know policy or practices that we constantly champion or advocate for making sure that they meet people because we have to make sure in these cases that we are changing the lives of those that we represent so i would say that is a long answer into my top three attributes of being a leader but all of them um really speak to uh, the boldness and the intentionality of the time that we're in right now. I think being strategic, being um, collaborative, and I agree with you most importantly because people I've found sometimes in leaders are afraid to say, okay, what is the outcome? Like, what is our desired outcome? Why are we here? And what is it that we want? And so being able to recognize this is a pivotal time in history. We have some key opportunities. And you know the old adage of being able to be at the table. We had a guest a few weeks ago that said, not only am I at the table, I'm going to rearrange some stuff on the table while I'm sitting here. So in your view, describe the significance of your seat at the table as um, a political figure and a public servant. No, I appreciate that question. And, you know, to be candid, I had to, you know, in my career, learn what it what it means to have a seat at the table and not just um, what you will be able to have decision making power on, but also who you represent and that those that the community that you're coming from, those constituencies that, you know, you that are looking to you, not just for guidance, but for impact is not a gift and a curse, but it can be a bit of a burden in, in some instances, because again, um, there was this saying from a comedian about, you know, Black women don't can't afford to find out uh, because we are disproportionately impacted by so many of society's challenges. So, you know, whether you're talking about pay equity, where you know, Black women are getting paid $5,600 versus our white female counterparts who are at 80 cents or um, some are at, you know, 90 cents on the dollar. Or when we're talking about the issue of uh, maternal mortality, where, you know, Black women are dying three times the rate 
of you know our counterparts um, in in that space. Um, so you know when they say that you know when the country catches a cold we get pneumonia. Well, as Black women, uh, you know we are impacted disproportionately even more. So you know it's an opportunity to have a, a seat at the table because, as you know, our our, our soror uh, Shirley Chisholm. If you don't have a seat, bring up that folding chair. But uh, in this day and age, uh, with more um, uh, people of color uh, being a part of the conversation, we got to bring the folding chair. We got to set the menu. We got to rearrange. <laughs> we got to do a lot um, because, again, <laughs> all, all of these things, um, sometimes we are the table. So uh, we, we have a lot at stake in these spaces. So when I think about my seat at the table, um, I honestly have, have, have to say that I've had to grow um, in this space and, you know, understanding what it means and understanding that, you know, you don't have the luxury of, you know, not being impactful or not being outcome driven. So, you know, when I first got into uh, this position, uh, my uh, colleague who uh, is with Jordan Harris, I always have to give him a shout out for um, giving me this opportunity. I was the chair of the Women and Girls of Color subcommittee for the Pennsylvania Legislative Black Caucus. And, you know, the question was, well, what issues are you going to champion? What are you, what, what are some of the challenges you're going to talk, try to tackle? And, you know, I thought to myself, I want to, again, be impactful, but, you know, tackle, you know, those issues that, you know, aren't the most, uh, you know, sexiest issues or those that are significantly challenges, significantly challenging. So, you know, one of the issues I took up was uh, dignity for incarcerated women. And, you know, we know uh, women that are going into, you know, our prison system, they are, a, sig a significant number of them are heads of households. They come in with some type of mental health or uh, sexual um, trauma. And, you know, these are women that, you know, during Women's Month, we are highlighting, you know, uh, the best of the best, but we're not, you know, oftentimes recognizing when an individual has made, you know, a split second decision that could change the trajectory of their lives in the, in the, in the worst sense. Um, so, I mean, I took on that issue and, you know, I had an opportunity to take it on with uh, a Republican and, you know, we were able to get some um, significant things, you know, done there. And, you know, that's just the style of leadership as I move into the different leadership roles and the different seats at the table. So, you know, just with that passion, I then became the one of the uh, co-chairs of the Women's Health Caucus. Um, and I was interestingly enough driven there because of the conversation around dignity for incarcerated women, but specifically because of the maternal mortality issue. Um, we saw... Serena Williams, Beyonce, Cardi B, like some of the, you know, women of color in society that can afford healthcare more so than any of us collectively, um, with them having themselves challenges um, in the medical uh, space, I realized, you know, some of the most marginalized women in society, women or um, um, those, you know, who identify um, were having these challenges, but not having their voices heard at the table. So. You know, that's one of the reasons why I moved into that role. And, you know, we were able to make a significant impact in that space. And I'm sure we'll talk about it a little bit more. But, um, you know, one of the significant things was to uh, extend Medicaid up to a year postpartum. Uh, we were able to certify um, doula care in, in the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania. Um, we were able to secure a $25 million grant from the American Rescue Plan to fund uh, things like maternal health innovation and things like that. 
And, you know, with that seat at the table, I recognize that I, I feel like I wanted to do more for my city specifically, not just around those issues. So that's when, you know, I, I became the Philadelphia delegation chair um, to really make that significant impact. Because, again, um, you, we want to make sure that the roles that we're playing, the seats at the table that we sit at, you know, we're not there just to discuss policy. Um, or uh, not see some outcome as it relates to, you know, our ability to have the uh, opportunity to be in those positions. Yes, it's an opportunity to be the voice for the voiceless. Mm -hmm. And so many of those categories that you shared are marginalized. And if we are not being intentional about mm -hmm. the legacy that we're leaving, because we have an opportunity. Yes, it's service, but there are voices mm -hmm. that are not even being heard, recognized, or acknowledged that we have a sphere of influence mm -hmm. that every time we're in the room with fellow decision makers, actually leveraging that influence for a greater good mm -hmm. and um, very intentional purposes. Right, right. When I think about so much of what you shared to many of what I would call the mainstream mm -hmm. would not know, recognize, were not aware mm -hmm. of actual marginalized um, race issues, maternal issues, um, issues of poverty, mm -hmm. that they had the opportunity to be unaware. Mm -hmm. And things happened and shifted in the pandemic and mm -hmm. it brought things that for generations mm -hmm. were the stories and lives that people were leading. It was brought to the forefront. And I'm curious, coming as we are moving out of stages of an active pandemic, what's something that the the pandemic has taught you mm. as a leader? No, that's a powerful conversation. Um, again, as I mentioned at the top of the discussion, um, that was a true uh, test for a lot of our leadership. We were, um, I mean, whether that be, you know, the detrimental impacts to our healthcare system, um, whether that be um, a, a massive amount of women leaving the workforce. Um, I think um, the National Law, the National Women's Law Center, like at the time that I read their report, there was roughly around 2 million women have had to leave uh, the workplace because of lack of childcare, uh, the requirement to take on um, additional responsibilities in the home because of, you know, taking care of, um, you know, parents or, um, you know, their, their students who were, you know, out of school, um, whether it be that or whether it be, you know, the small mom and pop businesses that had been forced to shut down at, at no, um, no responsibility of their own. But the pandemic really shook up, um, I feel like, our country. And as oftentimes as we've talked about um, how systems that we've created as government um, aren't necessarily supportive or help to fix the challenges of marginalized communities, I feel like the pandemic really brought many of our neighborhoods and our communities and our systems to, you know, to the break. And we had to, in real time, um, deal with those challenges that 
existed, but then also um, ensure that we were creating a pathway out of the challenges that we were experiencing, but ensuring that we created a structure that wouldn't bring us back here because I mean we all know this is not going to this isn't the first pandemic that we've experienced in this country. I mean it's the first time we've experienced it in such a detrimental way, uh, or maybe the second given what happened um, uh, in 1918, 1919. Um, but it's something that we've recently experienced that we haven't experienced in a long time, and I would just say that. Uh, but we also know that this isn't going to be the last. So it's how are we using again? It's always about finding that opportunity amidst crisis and how are we using what we just experienced as a collective, whether you are in an urban city or are in the suburbs or in you know rural uh, Pennsylvania. I mean, I feel like, I mean, we had our differences um, as electeds up in Harrisburg, Republicans and Dems as to a path moving forward, but all of our communities were uh, stretched then, whether that again be the healthcare system uh, businesses going out of business, workers looking for um, unemployment compensation. I mean, you name it, we all had been dealing with the same challenge, which, which brought us together on a lot of things. But I think what the pandemic did to my leadership is um, requiring a sense of resiliency. Um, and I'll give you a prime example. Um, throughout the entire time as electives, we're literally building and flying the plane at the same time. I'm into like literally says this all the time. And, uh, you know, it goes back to those, you know, three points um, that I mentioned at the top of the discussion. When you're, when that's happening, you have to be strategic, you have to be collaborative and you have to be outcome driven because people on the ground were in need of, you know, real solutions, not, you know, these policy wonky ideas um, that don't meet people, but you had individuals needing to stand up, you know, technology to support their young person. You had uh, families, you know, in long lines of food pantries. You had uh, individuals, you know, needing again to get unemployment compensation, needed to, needing to access healthcare systems, the vaccine, the, you know, PPE. Like we had to solve real challenges in real time. And I, I'll give you a, a firm example. So uh, a lot of the COVID-19 vaccination um, testing and PPE were, you know, centrally located in uh, Center City. Um, just a little bit about West Philly, it's uh, about 20 to 30 minutes away from Center City. And, you know, that's in a vehicle. Um, so if you're dealing with like in the 192nd, um, the lower end of my district, we have roughly around a 44% um, poverty rate. And, you know, imagine having to use your last bit of resources trying to get to a healthcare system or healthcare resources that, you know, on public transit could be, you know, at least 45 minutes away. And then once you're getting down there, I'm sure you're familiar with, you know, the long lines that they had and, you know, difficult coordination. I mean, and it's nobody's fault. Um, I mean, that's one thing I constantly say about, you know, leadership. I mean, it's difficult when nobody's ever dealt with this before. So it's almost like you're quarterbacking a game that you have no, you know, historical plays and not, you know, reviewing any film. I only say that because, you know, the Eagles are playing in the Super Bowl, but um, I had to get that shameless plug in there. But you're literally, you know, calling plays um, in that in that immediate time that have to meet people. So, you know, my example, um, we didn't have any vaccines available or any um, testing sites available immediately in my district. Like I myself had to go um, to the adjacent county to, you know, get, you know, tested and, you know, access a vaccine. 
And, you know, I come from a space of privilege, you know, let alone those who I represent who aren't able to access, you know, that opportunity. Um, so essentially what we had to do in my office, which many of, you know, my colleagues did um, that are state elected, we had to partner with um, local pharmacies. So the Rite Aids, the Walgreens, the, you know, CVSs to come out of their store and actually come to where people are. So literally we're turning, you know, gymnasiums, uh, we're turning churches. We even turned our local McDonald's into um, a, a space where people could access, you know, these resources. But, you know, it really spoke to uh, the type of leadership that, that we needed at that time. Um, where it's, you know, you don't throw your arms up or you're not pointing the finger at our mayor or you're not pointing the finger at some other elected or, um, you know, the federal government or, I mean, you're just not looking for someone to blame. You're looking, how can you be, you know, an added resource and add capacity to, you know, what we were dealing with as a collective. So um, I say, again, it was a gift and a curse. I was very frustrating uh, during that time period and very stressful. And, you know, you really, you know, really wanted to, you know, step up for the communities that, you know, we serve. And, you know, it also, you know, gave the opportunity to, again, goes back to the three things I talked about, strategic, collaborative, and outcome driven. So I think that's what, that's what the pandemic to me, um, that's what the pandemic did for me. And I think as we come out of COVID, we cannot forget um, what we were able to accomplish during that period. I mean, yes, we, you know, lost a lot of people. We lost a lot of people. I know no one that, you know, wasn't impacted directly by COVID. Um, but we, coming out of that, we need to approach every single challenge that we have, um, you know, in this country, across the globe, in that way, with that sense of urgency and understanding your first approach might, you know, work, but it also might not work, but how do you pivot? And how do you pivot with, you know, what is needed, you know, currently? How do you, you know, again, be collaborative with different entities to deliver to those that you're trying to serve? So I feel like um, my approach now to the issue of gun violence that we're dealing with in Philadelphia, housing insecurity, food insecurity, we have to act with that level of sense of urgency and innovation that we did during the pandemic. So I, I'm hoping everybody got that out of um, that difficult time in this country. And you know, you as you literally outlined the flexibility that leaders had to have mm -hmm. and the endurance and the strength and consistency, you, you mentioned a word that I often spend time um, helping educators as well as administrators understand, um, which is resilience mm -hmm. and understanding that resilience isn't something that people either have or don't have. But what science helps us understand is that it is a developmental process that mm -hmm. gets strengthened over time with opportunities of practice. And so when you think about going into your fourth term as as a seasoned <laughs> as a seasoned um legislator you have experience of that developmental process of resilience what are you teaching or educating the newcomers 
to the table to understand about leadership and, and standing strong? No, that's a great question. Um, I What I try to instill in the new members that come in, whether they're coming in from my Philadelphia delegation, uh, we have six new members, talented, um, excited to get to work. And one thing I love about uh, new reps is that they come with new energy. <laughs> they come <laughs> with, you know, harder questions. And, um, you know, they really look to the leadership to think differently because, you know, the community, the reasons why they run is because they don't see the change that they need to see um, in our communities. And, um, they want to be disruptive. And I, I, I welcome that disruption that we need to not continue to do the things that we have been doing. Now, some of the things work. Um, don't disrupt everything. Don't blow up the entire thing. But um, push us on, um, push the chamber, push um, those that have been in office to ensuring that the things that we are championing has a real impact. Because again, it's the reason why they ran. Um, so it can be a difficult at times, but, you know, I really, I welcome their energy. Yeah, that innovation. Mm -hmm. I appreciate um, thinking about how when someone new comes into a space, when seasoned leaders who are already in the room mm -hmm. actually welcome and allow that innovation, that, that creativity, um, but then also provide mm -hmm. kind of those bumpers to recognize, okay, yes, <laughs> and <laughs> let's yeah. recognize what, what has been put, what ha it has cost us to get what we already have as yeah. well. Oh, this has been powerful and I can't believe we're already halfway through our time. So we are getting ready to take a quick break. And um, leading into this break, I want to encourage those who follow Living Strong every year. We update, revamp, provide new resources and a new look to our website. The new website has launched. So if you have not had a chance to visit Living Strong, LLC.com. Take a look at it. Look at the resources, the things that we are continuing to try to add value to the planet. And while we take this break, check us out and connect with us as we continue to try to provide a space of understanding that where you are, what you've been through does not define where you are able to go. So stay connected. We'll be right back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. What if the most special part about you was not how you fit in, but how you stood out in a world that has never seen your kind of beauty? What if you could walk confidently in your God-given beauty, identity, and purpose? My name is Sandra Coates, and I am the founder and visionary of a movement called United and True. We want every woman to know that she is being transformed, she has been redeemed, and she is unique. I'm also an author of a newly released book called None Like Her. It is about awakening the beauty and the value that is within every woman. You see, it's time that we rise up 
through the confusion and the chaos and the comparison and the shame to know that there is nothing more we need to do to access the beauty that is within us. Please visit SandraCoats.com for more information. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com This is Living Strong, the flip side of adversity with Dr. Veerdra Jackson. To reach the live show today, call into 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. You may also send an email to info at livingstrongllc.com. Now, back to Living Strong, the flip side of adversity. Hello and welcome back to our flip side conversation with State Representative Morgan Cephas. And she has been pouring out her heart, her passion, her commitment for those that she represents, as well as the importance of being strategic of having and seeking collaboration and recognizing the responsibility that we have in serving to seek outcomes, not just conversations. And so we were just talking about a seat at the table, recognizing being a voice. And and as a seasoned uh, legislator, she has now the opportunity to continue to, to coach and guide those who are new to the table. But you mentioned something, and I want to make sure people know the numbers. There has been an important shift mm-hmm. in leadership and can you tell us what's important about the leadership shift that has happened? Oh, you know, I love that conversation. <laughs> yes, <laughs> so yes, yes, yes. being in the minority, the majority of my career. So think about, and you know, when people ask, you know, well, what is the state rep? What is it equivalent to? I try to, um, I try to use Congress as an example. So like think of, you know, we are Congress and um, then you have the Senate. I mean, it's the same. Uh, it's a similar structure in uh, in the general in the General Assembly. So just think of it that way. And how the Democrats are in the minority with the crazy Republicans down in D.C. That that's what we were for about for my entire career. So um, and why that's important to know is because when you're in the minority. Um, it's almost, it almost goes back to the idea, um, we'll have our say, but the majority will have their way. So when you're in a minority, you're not chairing committees. You are not setting the agenda for the House floor. You are not leading budget negotiations. Um, you are not determining uh, the makeup of the majority on committees. You're not, again, setting the agenda. You are not making big decisions. And in the minority, that means, you know, me coming from the city of Philadelphia, again, with the challenges that we're having, gun violence, housing insecurity, those priorities, if they aren't the priorities of the majority, they are not coming up for a vote. They're not coming up for a hearing. They're not coming up um, for, again, budget negotiations. So we can't tackle the challenges that we need to tackle in our city and our respective cities across the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania when we are in the minority. But luckily, 
we had an amazing election season last cycle and we are taking the majority in a matter of a couple of days we have um three special elections happening um february um 7th out in uh western pa uh we had a couple of vacancies um if you're not familiar we um our lieutenant governor who was the first african-american male to serve as lieutenant governor which is the highest uh, the second highest person in the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania, he's always like our um, our VP equivalent to the president. Um, so he left the legislature. We also were able to get the first um, black woman uh, from the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania to represent us in Congress, which is a big deal. We've never had a black woman representing us in Congress, which is a whole lived experience that is absent from that body representing the Commonwealth. And we also had, unfortunately, a colleague that passed away during the election season. And as a result, it left three vacancies. And so we'll be filling those um, February 7th. So once that compliment comes on, we will be officially in the majority. And again, when it comes to the issues that we are trying to tackle as Democrats, and I know this isn't um, a partisan uh, conversation, but you know, just some of the things that we care about, some of the things that we champion include, again, pay equity. Uh, pay equity for uh, you know those that are most marginalized when it comes to um, salary. Uh, we also want to ensure that we increase the minimum wage, which has we are still at seven twenty five, believe it or not. Uh, whereas all of the other states around us, like even Western Virginia, is beating the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania, believe it or not. Um, when it comes to that issue, we have the ability to do that. Uh, we want to protect our union workforce here in the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania, so that's going to be a priority. But we also want to ensure that we are prioritizing uh, housing insecurity. Um, we know that affordable housing is at a premium here in the Commonwealth, so that is going to be a significant issue. Um, education, education reform, fair funding reform is going to be a hot button issue. We all know we're coming from the Roe v. Uh, Wade, uh, the Dobbs decision that was made. We want to make sure that we codify Roe v. Wade in you know, our constitution, in our laws, to make sure that the Commonwealth is still accessible as it relates to reproductive rights. Um, so we have a lot, we have a laundry list of things <laughs> that we will be doing, but we recognize that um, our numbers will, we're a body of 203 members in the house. Uh, we will have 102 majority. So it was a very slim majority. Um, we also have 50 senators over in the Senate that is still controlled by Republicans. But you know, with us now, having the ability to lead a lot of these conversations and elevating the conversation about the things that we care about the most. Um, it really puts us in, in a better position than I was in the past six years of me serving. But then we also have a, uh, a Democratic governor who is excited about, um, you know, working alongside, you know, both chambers to, you know, move an agenda that, you know, Pennsylvanians have voted for this past election cycle. Um, so, you know, we're excited. <laughs> We're excited to be able to tackle a lot of these big issues uh, for Pennsylvania. Wow. I I have been waiting for that part of this conversation <laughs> because I wanted to make sure that people understood the magnitude of what has happened within that shift and what it actually means mm -hmm. um, in addressing their needs. But I don't want to miss a conversation we had during the break because you made a statement that sometimes people think about the elected official as the 
um, be all and end all to solving all of community needs and issues. But you shared during the break, it is a partnership. And so how can you guide us, those who are listening, how can people actually support the work that is on the horizon for all of us? I think um, being vocal and being active. Uh, one of the things that we constantly do as, um, as residents is that, you know, we all get active when the president is running. Um, but that's like every four years. And, you know, when we don't show up and when we don't um, continue to have conversation and dialogue about the issues that are most important to us every six months, because every six months there's an election, we we tend to lose ground. So, you know, we talk a lot about, um, you know, some of the, you know, some of the great things that, you know, President Obama was able to accomplish, but then some of the things that were still left on the table, that was a, that was a direct result of us, you know, all of us not staying active um, in our local elections or in our state elections. And, you know, people even say a lot that, you know, your local elections have more of an impact on your day-to-day -day life than the president ever will, right? Um, and, you know, we almost felt, when we essentially fell asleep at the wheel, we gave him a Republican Congress and a Republican Senate where their mission was to make him a one-term president. And, you know, luckily he was, you know, elected twice and still was able to do amazing things. But, you know, imagine what would have happened if we would have stayed diligent on, you know, the midterm elections or the off elections and things like that. We'd be a lot further along. But I do think um, in this environment, we there's a lot of um, there's still a lot of energy that is focusing on, you know, what happens, you know, in between, you know, those those big headliner cycles. So um, but it's not just about voting. It's also about uh, being active in your community. Um, as your elected official, my role, um, for example, my seat, I represent uh, roughly 60,000 people. Um, my role is to, you know, be your voice when it comes to, you know, that seat at the table when we're negotiating policy to elevate or when we're having that budget conversation. But the only way I know what the champion is based on the work of the people on the ground. So that's the, you know, the football coach that, you know, needs resources to get, you know, that young person to, you know, a competition or needing to revitalize their recreation center because, you know, their field is not, you know, you know, regulation, um, things like that. Or when we're thinking about um, our neighborhood commercial corridors, I mean, we really had to listen to our barbershops and our hair salons during the pandemic around, you know, what um, the dollars that were secured on the federal level, how it was impacting them directly. I mean, you know, we all know that, you know, President Trump sent dollars to banks and we know how banks treat black and brown and marginalized communities. I mean, you know, without a pandemic, they were divesting in our neighborhoods or, you know, not lending to us or, you know, redlining. I mean, there's a history of mm -hmm. banks not being friendly to our communities, but it was the work of um, a woman named Ann Turner who runs a beauty salon in my district or Daryl Thomas who runs a barbershop in, you know, the ad adjacent district that really led the charge and having a conversation as to how the, the pandemic is impacting um, businesses and black and brown businesses. And it was from that advocacy that you know, we really took a stance on investing in them, not just during that time, but, you know, from a long-term perspective. So, you know, it takes those kind of conversations that 
you know, again, I've never been a business owner, so I want to listen to the business owner. And I think that's the role that communities can play. I've never been a coach. I've never been a teacher, but I'm relying on those that are on the ground that are in that work. That is their wheelhouse to guide the decisions that I make. So when you ask the question about the role of an elected official, uh, I know in, you know, recent past, we have been all things. But I think in this new climate um, and in this new environment, again, post-pandemic, realizing that it took all of us collectively to make the change and make the impact that we needed, um, it's something that we need to remember. Um, so as I talk about approaching challenges um, in an aggressive way and in a strategic way, like we did the pandemic, like again, gun violence, the economic downturn, education, we need residents to, you know, essentially to do the same thing, to, you know, get involved in their, you know, local organizations to, you know, help educate us or help move the needle for their communities on the ground. So again, I'm I'm just a I'm just one tool on the tool belt. We need we need all the tools to make the house. So yes, indeed. And I know you are one tool, but your voice has power. And um I think we have probably time for about two two questions. And one is one in which as I provide training and coaching and consulting, I encounter many people who are in communities, but they're feeling overwhelmed. Mm. They're feeling um, powerless. They're mm. feeling hopeless. Uh, what would you say to a listener who is feeling discouraged mm -hmm. in this season, in this time? Um, I would say um, definitely one, I'm, I'm a big proponent of um, um, self-care and, you know, mental health and uh, physical health and, you know, first and foremost, doing that check-in um, with yourself and ensuring that whatever you rely on, you know, whether that be your faith, I'm a big proponent of um, my faith. And again, the, you know, idea around self-care and therapy and things like that. Um, I think at the very, the, the, at the very least, ensuring that you're checking in, you know, with yourself to ensure that you are in a mental, social, and emotional space um, where you are okay. Because we are, again, to your point, in a challenging environment. I mean, we're climbing our way out of uh, COVID-19, where we know, you know, so many families have been impacted, whether, you know, losing their house, losing a loved one, or um, still, you know, managing those emotions and still having to get back to life. Um, mm -hmm. Getting back to outside is, can be, you know, overwhelming and can be difficult for people. So I, I mean, one thing I would say, definitely check in, you know, with yourself and, you know, with mental health resources that, you know, you have access to um, is, you know, definitely key. But I mean, I think also one way they say that, you know, how do you eat an elephant is, you know, piece by piece. Um, every role that an individual plays um, helps us to tackle the big issues, um, which is, a, is very difficult. Um, I just knew coming into elected office, like, okay, I'm gonna fix gun violence. I'm gonna fix poverty. I'm gonna fix hunger. Um, and it's, you realize immediately, oh, it's a little bit more nuanced than that. Um, but, um, making sure that, you know, you don't allow the difficult environment to keep you still, um, but just really using it to push you to act on something and to get involved in something. 
And, uh, you know, there are going to be good days and there are going to be bad days. I mean, we learned that through, you know, what we've all just gone through collectively. And I think it's um, it's not reassuring, but it's comforting that knowing that all of us have had struggles through these past couple of years. But, you know, we're, you know, getting up to, you know, ensure that we're moving the needle forward for those that we represent and those that we care about. I think that is, you know, a way to. I don't want to say beat back, but I think manage the idea of, you know, it being a difficult time for people. So I would say one, definitely check in with yourself to ensure that you are mentally, emotionally, and from a faith perspective, okay. Um, but then I would say, you know, get involved. So you feel like you are contributing to um, moving the needle for, you know, the communities that you represent. Yeah, there's a whole lot of science that really supports recognizing that as we um, take care of ourselves, shifting our vision from ourselves to others, mm -hmm. to remember why we're doing something, why we are um, actually up and active, it, it literally shifts our brain state. And I'm, I'm curious, we've had a lot of impactful elements to this conversation. And for me, I know, as I have continued to do work around trauma and equity and supporting others, I had a uh, a train uh, a mentee who I was working with the other day and I came into the building and she said, you know what, you just bring joy in the room. And I said, do I really? She said, it's just your energy. And I believe that as you continue to stay strong, I'm curious, what is bringing you joy in this season mm, um, to, to keep that, that light that is you? You know, to be honest, um, and again, I I didn't I didn't invest in like self care and mental health for a very, like the majority of my career. Um, but I do I do find that being able to reset in that way and to being able to check in with myself, being able to you know when I'm having those challenging days, follow you know people that are like you know just inspirational and again going to church and hearing messages to ground me in my foundation really, you know, brings me joy or just the idea of being able to tap into those things when I need a reset or I need to, you know, just take a step away um, to, you know, just refresh. Because again, if you don't um, invest in those things, you know, it's difficult for you to be present for those that you're trying to take care of. Um, I think the other thing that brings me joy is my family. Um, my family, my mentors, my friends, I mean, no, you know, your husband is one of, you know, the mentors, you know, silently, I don't know if he knows, but, um, <laughs> but, you know, they all bring me joy because they all, um, it's like a network of people that pour into me when, you know, I am spending my, my, my life and my career pouring into others. So that's helpful. And I would say my, my two-year-old niece, Harper, who, it's definitely terrible too. I didn't know the thing, and I hear it kind of keep continue, it continues. But um, no, she she put the smile on my face, and yes, I heard about terrible threes. <laughs> um, but no, she um, she makes it all worth it, and just she just is a reflection of the generation that we're fighting for. And I'm constantly reminded that 
our generation has to make sure that we're doing our part to continue the legacy of what we're celebrating this month, continuing, you know, moving marginalized communities forward, disrupting in a big way systems that have um, historically um, disadvantaged, you know, people that look like us. Um, so I think, um, you know, those things, you know, keep me grounded, keep me grounded and, you know, bring me joy. So from family to friends to, you know, mentors, they, they give me an opportunity to step away and be, you know, my real authentic self. So, yes, I think that is a, a great reminder that relationships matter mm-hmm. and they can be our, our foundation, our um, opportunity for us to get stable. <laughs> yes, to get state like who, and yeah. especially coming out of a time when um, separation was something that was impacting all of us. Yeah. Oh, thank you. This has been an amazing conversation. I so appreciate. I hope people had paper and pen as we were going through each element of this and continue to share the accountability, the recognizing that we each have a responsibility to continue to be voices, to operate in our sphere of influence. Mm -hmm. And so I thank you for your service. I thank you for um, your commitment. And I thank you for absolutely the integrity that you bring to your position as well as you represent um, those within your district and beyond. So I, I encourage you to share this conversation with others and we are going to continue to unpack bold, black and beautiful throughout the month. Each one of our conversations is going to come at that concept in different ways. And we can encourage you to continue to connect with us same time, same place every week, right here on the flip side. We'll see you next week. Thank you for tuning in to Living Strong, the flip side of adversity. Please join your host, Dr. Veerdra Jackson, for another edition of our show next Thursday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time and 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Have a great week.